Good morning. Welcome to Grace Church again this morning. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to echo uh, David's welcome this morning. If you are new or visiting, we are glad that you're here. Uh, If you have questions or want to talk to one of the pastors or elders um, or want prayer after the service, um, someone will be up here, and we'd be happy to talk and meet with you. Um, This morning, we're continuing our summer series looking at sermons and speeches in the book of Acts. And this morning, we come to Acts chapter 10, verses 23 to 48. And this really is a hinge point in the book of Acts because up until this point, the gospel has really just gone out to Jews and Jewish converts in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. But what we'll see this morning is that God himself breaks down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, between those descendants of Abraham who are God's covenant family and those who are not, those who are enemies of God and are not part of his people. Um, The things that we use to exclude people, uh, to keep ourselves away from those people, whoever those people are, to keep those people away from us, they're destroyed by Jesus and his gospel in this text this morning. Um, Exclusion. Living in community with people in the midst of our differences is really what this text is about. So I want to ask you, who, who is it that you exclude? Why do you exclude them? Uh, these are the things that we're going to talk about and think through this morning through our text. So these, these two chapters in chapters 10 and 11 are really the, the longest narrative in the book of Acts. And because of its length, Luke is really pointing us to see that this is really one of the most important and integral parts of the book. And one of the most integral and important parts of the story of the early church. So to kind of bring you up to speed to verse 23 this morning, uh, chapter 10 begins by introducing Cornelius. Uh, He's a Roman centurion in the Italian regiment in Caesarea. It's the city named for the Roman Empire. So he is the Gentile of Gentiles. Um, He and his family, we're told, are devout and God-fearing. That Cornelius gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly. Cornelius is a good man. He's one of the best. But he's a Gentile. He's not a Jewish convert. He hasn't been circumcised. But he's drawn to God. He's drawn to the God of the Scriptures and he tries to honor him to the very best of his ability, and one day while he's praying, an angel shows up and tells him that his prayers and his gifts have been seen by God, but he needs to go send for Peter. And so Cornelius sends men of his own to go get Peter, and Peter is meanwhile down the road a couple days away in Joppa, and he's praying one day, and God sends him a vision in which he sees heaven and earth um, or this, this sheet descend upon the earth and its four corners come down and on it are all kinds of four-footed animals and birds and reptiles. Um, and then Jesus' Jesus's voice is heard by Peter and he says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's confused. Uh, he, you don't usually have visions like this. This isn't typical for Peter either. Um, and he's this good Jewish man and he hears get up, kill, and eat these unclean animals. And he says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then Jesus responds to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then this happens three times because Peter is a committed Jew and he follows the ceremonial food laws and he's really hard-headed. And then Cornelius and Cornelius' men show up at Peter's house. They're in his basement Peter hears the spirit say, Peter, there's three men downstairs waiting for you. I want you to go with them. And that brings us to our text this morning. So kind of give you a little bit of background of where we're at, where we're going. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 10, verse 23 through 48. 
Um, Hear the word of our Lord, given for his glory and for our good. And please read along with me. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's the guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God is with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for your word and how you use it to draw us to yourself and to change and transform lives and hearts and communities. And so we ask that you would do that this morning. Uh, There are some here that are excited about you, uh, some who used to be excited about you, and some who just really wish they were anywhere else but in this room this morning. Uh, We ask that you would meet with us, that you would help us to see Jesus, and that we would walk away from this place um, knowing and loving him more Uh, than we did when we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So exclusion. Creating boundaries that separate us from them is a a problem that's been around since sin entered the world. Exclusion. Refusing to live peaceably with those who differ from you on any range of issues or beliefs. As we've seen this weekend, it's It's all too real. The horrific 
effects and events of exclusion and boundaries are what has happened in Charlottesville this weekend. A white supremacy march and protest was organized in response to growing tension in Charlottesville, centered around racism and the removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee. Um, Counter-protesters showed up and violence and hate clashed. And the groups began fighting And yesterday we saw a car drive down a road full of people, um, killing at least three people and injuring many, many others. A state of emergency was declared in Charlottesville, and over what? Our differences. This morning, this can't be something that we're okay with. White supremacy, racism, it's not something that we can be okay with. Starting with me, I need to look deep into my heart, and repent of the ways I've sinned either in unhelpful jokes, in silence, in blatant racism and bigotry, and not fighting for justice, and not actively pursuing racial peace for the sake of Jesus' kingdom in the places that I live. So I invite, I invite you this morning to examine your heart along with me, examine your history. I invite you to not get defensive but to look at how we can work to bring the resurrection to bear in our relationships, how we can confess and repent, how we can join our brothers and sisters and no longer pretend that this isn't an issue that affects Jesus and his church, that this isn't an issue that infects our own hearts and dishonors our Lord. So exclusion, based on who you are, what you look like, what you think, what you feel, what you believe, it's all too present, it's all too real, and it often can have devastating and terrible consequences. It shouldn't be true, it doesn't belong here, but if we're honest, we're all complicit. We're all guilty of exclusion in some way, of participating in the us versus them, either in our hearts and in our thoughts, or in our actions and in our words. You know, we do this with, with race, we, we do it with politics, we do it with our ideas of how church should be, we do it with our ideas of how we should interact with culture, and so on and so on. And so, in the midst of it, it leaves us to ask the question, is there any hope? Is there any answer to this? Is there any way to combat the problem of exclusion, to live at peace with those who differ from us in big ways and in small ways? And so what we see in our text this morning is that Jesus himself destroys the walls of hostility and exclusion, and it's because of the resurrection of Jesus, and it's through the call of the gospel that we can actually pursue peace with those around us and eliminate the barriers that keep us from loving and serving and engaging and living peaceably alongside those that differ from us. So how does Jesus break down the walls of exclusion? We see it first in the truth that Peter declares that Jesus is Lord of all. Peter's a a committed and ceremonial law-abiding Jew. We've already said that. He comes to to the home of this Gentile man, and he says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Jesus himself is Lord of all. Caesar and others claiming to be Lord, they're only pretending. Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is ruling and governing over all of creation. He's in charge of the whole world, and he doesn't show favoritism. 
He isn't some tribal God that only an elite group of people can know and worship. He hasn't aligned himself with the strong and the powerful. He hasn't aligned himself with the politically and the military strong, the good and the righteous, or the noble and the important. He's never been that God, and he never will be. He's the Lord of all. Deuteronomy 10 says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affections on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and the awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. And you're to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And then he continues in Deuteronomy 7. He says, I didn't set my affections on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, because you were greater than other people, because you are the fewest of all people, but it's because I loved you that I saved you. It's because I loved you that I chose you. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is the Lord of all, the whole earth. Every people group, every nation is his. And he says in verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So what Jesus is saying is it's all mine and you all need to come to me. The cultural outsider, Cornelius, those that the Jews look down on as lawless dogs, as subhumans, need to come to Jesus. And the religious insiders, those who keep the laws, those who honor God, they need Jesus too. Jesus said earlier, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Jesus is doing away with the ceremonial food laws that prevented fellowship and friendship and even contact between these two groups of people. But Peter sees and he understands that it's not just about the food anymore. It's about people. Verse 34 says, I now realize that God doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't have favorites based on behavior, based on status or family or nation or skin color. God has shown me, Peter says, that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. God's saying, you don't get to determine who's in and who's out. You don't get to, be, to determine who should be afforded my invitation. I'm the Lord of all. You're all mine. You're all broken, and you're all loved, and you all need me. So Jesus, as Lord of all, he levels the playing field. He confronts both Cornelius, the cultural outsider, and Peter, the religious insider. And he says to both of them, you need to relate to me now through the story of Jesus, which is what Peter goes through in Cornelius' home. This is what defines you now. It's not your goodness, Cornelius. It's not your power. It's not your compassion. It's not your honoring God. It's not your generosity. You need Jesus, and you need to have your sins forgiven by him. You need grace. And it's the same for you too, Peter. You don't have the market on relating to God. Your pedigree, your holiness, your good law-abiding skills aren't enough. You need Jesus. So what the scriptures, what Jesus is telling us here this morning is whether you're good or not, whether you're from afar, whether you're far away from God or you're not, whether you have the right pedigree or not, you need to be converted by the gospel. You need to come to relationship through faith and repentance, through turning away from your self-salvation projects, your ways of returning, of, of relating to God, whether through your goodness or through your badness, and you need to turn to Jesus, to the one who lived and died and was raised to you, raised for you. So, so Jesus begins 
to break down the walls of exclusion by saying every person, no matter where they come from, no matter who their parents are, no matter what their need is, they need me because I'm the Lord of all. God loves you this morning. He loves your neighbor. He loves your enemy. He loves those who've been excluded. He loves those who we've excluded because he is Lord of all and he wants all of us to turn to him. So we see that Jesus breaks down the walls of exclusion by, by being Lord of all, but we also see it by his giving his gift to all. Now what does that mean? What's this gift? And we see that this gift is for all. In verse 44, Peter says, while, or the scriptures say, while Peter was still speaking these words, while he's presenting the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God that he gives to all who come to him seeking forgiveness of sins through Jesus, coming to Jesus, believing in his name, who he is, what he's done. The Holy Spirit comes on these Gentile people in the same exact way and manner and degree that it came on the disciples of Pentecost. This, this passage is often referred to as the Gentile Pentecost, but it's not a second outpouring of the Spirit. This is the Spirit doing exactly what Jesus said would happen when the gospel would go out to the ends of the earth. Those who've been outsiders, those who've been unwanted, those who are unclean, they've been brought in. They've been brought into God's family exactly like he brought in the Jewish disciples. In this outpouring of the Spirit, this is done partly for the benefit of Peter and his friends that are in the room with him. It says in verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Cornelius, his family, his friends, they come to faith in Jesus through hearing the gospel story of Jesus, his life, his death, his death on a tree, it actually says. It doesn't say cross, it says he died on a tree, signifying that he's taking the curse that was ours. He paid for all of our sins on that tree. He was cut off from God, and then he was raised to life, and he's ruling, and he's reigning now, and he's going to come back, and he's going to finish what he started. So after hearing this, what happens? The Holy Spirit rushes on these people exactly like it did at Pentecost with the circumcised Jews. What we see here is there's no distinction in God's family. When you approach God in faith and repentance, he gives you all that is his. All that is Jesus's is yours now. His power, his morality, his perfect record, his holiness, his goodness, his love, his compassion, and his status as a child of the, of the God of the universe. It's all yours now. There's no second-class Christian. If you are Jesus's, you have the full rights and privileges and status and inheritance with God as Jesus does. I don't know if you caught it in verse 45. It says, circumcised believers were astounded that the Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Do you hear the disdain there? The circumcised the religious insiders. They're confronted with their cultural religious superiority and they see that the Gentiles, those enemies of God, those who don't keep the right laws, those who don't follow God the right way, those lawbreakers, they're now the same as me in God's eyes. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's the reason you and I are here this morning. God has no favorites. He doesn't give you more or less based on anything about you. He gives you the fullness of his love and his grace when you come to him. So when you're his, you're his. 
And he welcomes you, and he embraces you, and he sings over you, and he rejoices over you, and he gives you his smile and his grace and his forgiveness, and he promises to never take them away, no matter what. So for those who are following Jesus in this room this morning, how can we look down on anyone that Jesus has loved and died for, that Jesus has declared clean and his? How do we look for ways to exclude and make ourselves superior to our brothers and sisters in Jesus who have different applications of what it looks like to follow him? We need to look for things to celebrate. We need to celebrate our unity in Jesus and be charitable with those with whom we differ. So we've seen that Jesus breaks down the walls of exclusion and being Lord of all and and seeing that his gift is for all. And then lastly, in seeing that his name marks all. So what happens next in the story? Look at verse 47. Peter, having seen the Spirit be poured out on these people, he asks, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit. They've received the thing signified in the water. How can we withhold the sign from them? They've already got the thing being signified. They need to be marked in the same way as every one of our brothers and sisters, every one of our spirit-filled members of God's family and church. They need to be marked by water and by the name of Jesus along with us. Being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ means that now your primary identity above everything else in your life is a forgiven, dearly loved child of the King. Jesus' name is what marks you. Your primary identity is now as a follower of Jesus. It's not in being a man. It's not in being a woman. It's not in being a husband or a wife, in being a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister, in being white or Hispanic or black or Asian, in being wealthy, in being poor, in being heterosexual, in being same-sex attracted, in being Republican or Democrat, in being broken or being together, in being a victim or being ashamed, in being an addict or being accepted or being wealthy, whatever identity that we've used to, to have the primary way that we relate to others, to relate to ourselves and to the world around us, it's gone now. You're marked by King Jesus, and you are his. You've been transformed. You've been accepted. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus himself. You've been loved. You've been made clean. You've been made whole. But we need to hear this, though. What, what makes you you doesn't go away, though. Those individual distinctives don't go away. You're still you with your personality and your gifts and your makeup, but those are no longer the things that define you. The primary exclusionary boundary, the wall that we place between us and God because of our desire to be right, because of our desire to be in control or our desire to be God, has been removed by Jesus. It's been broken down by him himself because he wants you. So when we come to him in faith and repentance, it's because he's broken down those walls in our hearts and he's cleansed us. He's replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh and he does that in whoever comes to him without distinction. And he places the mark of his son Jesus on you. And he promises to never remove it. So what? What are we to do with all of this? When we, when we come to Jesus, we're called here in this passage to reject our practices of exclusion 
and to live a, a life of Christ-centered inclusion. So what does that even mean? We can apply this in lots of different places, in the way that we engage with race and politics, with gender issues, with our neighborhoods. But just really quickly this morning, I want us to think about how we engage it as a church. For some of us, it means that we stop the exclusion of people for the sake of Jesus. For some of us, it means that we, we claim Jesus as our hope, that Jesus is our life and in our peace, and yet we practice exclusion. We fight with each other. We, we look down on each other. We look down on our brothers and sisters in Jesus. We do this when we insist that our cultural, our tribal, our denominational preferences and understandings and practices really are the most important thing. We insist that, that worship needs to look like this, that these men and women can only do these things, that this way of schooling really is the only and the best way forward, that these entertainment choices and cultural practices are really the only accept, acceptable ones. This denomination really is the true place where truth is found. We do it when we say, I can't associate with, with those people. When those people are beyond hope, I can't associate with those sinners? What are the barriers that, that you set up that you live by? Because when we, we make these things the main thing, we're actually undermining Jesus and his gospel and our claim that Jesus is reconciling the whole world to himself is being undermined. And we're placing needless barriers between ourselves and our brothers and sisters in Jesus. So how do I know if this is me? I've heard one preacher say it this way. He said, if you never ask what practice can I renounce to make room for someone else, then this is you. If you think that this is what following Jesus looks like and there isn't room for discussion or other thoughts, then this is you. What are the, what are the needless cultural, personal, denominational practices that we can set aside in order to make room for each other, in order to be the one holy and apostolic church that we confess to be. And then for others of us, we practice inclusion, but we diminish Jesus. Some of us are really passionate and in tune with this idea of inclusion and with getting rid of all of our exclusionary practices, but we're not as committed to Jesus. We're not as committed to the truth that he really is the place where our embrace is found, where we're made whole, where he's really the true place where healing and inclusion really are found. And I've heard one pastor say it this way, we can't be deceived that a cultural ethos of inclusiveness is the same as a Christ-centered theology of inclusion. We can't be deceived that a cultural ethos of inclusiveness is the same as a Christ-centered theology of inclusion. They're different. If we hold to inclusiveness but not to Jesus, we're getting it wrong. And I, I know this is hard this morning, and I'm going to have to change a whole lot. But I want to encourage you, Peter and Cornelius didn't know what this was going to look like either. We need to pray. We need to ask the Spirit to lead us. We need to look into our own hearts. We need to talk with each other. And we need to do what Peter and Cornelius did. They centered on, they rehearsed, they told each other the story of Jesus. They told the story of God's Son who came to seek and to save the lost, to bring peace, to include you, broken, messy outsider, into his family. 
you need to know this morning that our future is secure in him, and it's heading to a place where Jesus is going to return to wipe every tear from our eyes, to do away with sin and sadness and sickness and death, where all the sad things are going to come untrue, where every nation and tribe and people and language will exclaim that salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and will worship and will cry out, Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Where all of the barriers that we use to exclude people will be done away with once and for all. So may we seek after Jesus, the one who breaks down all barriers to bring us to himself and live as the people defined by him and his love and his grace for us and not our barriers. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that you break down barriers, that you invite us to come to you. We need you. Uh, We can't do this by ourselves. We can't break down these barriers. We can't be good enough or try hard enough. We need your gospel to change us. Uh, We thank you that you love us and that you promise to return to undo all that is wrong. So we thank you for your goodness and grace this morning. We pray that you would bless our time as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.